Hi everyone, I'm Jessica. And I'm Morgan. You're listening to Suspicion. We have a little bit of an announcement to start this week off. Morgan and I, as we mentioned at the start of this season, are trying to dive into some big, long cases. With that being said, it takes a lot of research to get those to a state that we feel comfortable showing you. And as a history major and a history buff, I am a perfectionist when it comes to research. I, I hate when my research is not adequate. And we hate when we're listening to podcasts and we don't feel like it's adequate. Yes. So with all that being said... The next case we are going to present, we feel like we just need an extra week to get it into a place where we feel comfortable. As we both also work full-time jobs. Yes. And, you know, we also have lives. So it's hard to really just do it in a week. So in an effort to find a balance between getting really well-researched stories and being able to produce them for you in a timely manner, we are we have decided that we are going to switch to a slightly new format. So from this week forward, we are going to be releasing big cases, um, the classical style of podcasting that we've been doing before every two weeks, but we still will be releasing an episode every week. So on those off weeks, we are going to be kind of just trying new things. We'll be doing some urban legends. We'll be trying to do some maybe like um, talks about documentaries that we've watched. We'll do stories that um, are maybe have just happened and that are in progress that we'll just do small updates on. Basically just something a little bit different in the in-between. Yeah, and it'll still be true crime related. It will just be, as Jessica says, media adjacent. No, crime adjacent. Oh, crime adjacent. Crime adjacent stories. So it, it should still kind of fill what you're looking for from us, but be a little bit more different. Mm -hmm. and, and if you have any suggestions on documentaries you think we should see, books you think we should read, or stories that are kind of spooky, let us know. Mm -hmm. All right. Drop our alley. With all of that intro <laughs> now, yeah, let's get to what we are doing for today. So today is going to be one of those new funky off weeks, mm -hmm. and we are going to be talking about urban legends. Urban legends are really interesting to me, and there is a really good documentary on Netflix called Urban Legends, and it's this uh, couple that they focus on those big urban legends like Halloween candy being poisoned and killer clowns and things like that. But I love an urban legend. It, it's so spooky. This one is from liveabout.com. And it is called The Russian Sleep Experiment Urban Legend. It is by David Emery. The story goes that towards the end of the 1940s, Soviet researchers sealed five prison inmates in an airtight chamber and doused them with an experimental stimulant gas to test the effects of prolonged sleep deprivation. Their behavior was observed via two-way mirrors and their conversations monitored electronically. They were promised their freedom 
if they could go without sleep for 30 days. If I don't get a solid eight hours, I'm miserable. Yeah, can you stay alive without sleep for 30 days? I don't think you can. I don't, I doubt it. I randomly, when I was getting to this website, I randomly saw something that said like the longest recorded person who hasn't slept is 11 days, which is still like a lot. Still way too many. The first few days passed uneventfully. By the fifth day, however, the subjects began showing signs of stress and were overheard bemoaning their circumstances. They stopped conversing with their fellow inmates, choosing instead to whisper compromising information about one another into the microphones, apparently in an effort to win the favor of the researchers. Paranoia set in. On the ninth day, the screaming began. First one subject, then another, was observed running around the chamber screaming for hours on end. Equally disconcerting was the behavior of the quieter subjects, who began ripping apart the books they'd been given to read, smearing the pages with feces, and plastering them over the mirrored windows so their actions could no longer be observed. Then, just as suddenly, the screaming stopped. The subjects ceased communicating altogether. Three days passed without a sound from inside the chamber. Fearing the worst, the researchers addressed them via the intercom. We are opening the chamber to test the microphones. Step away from the door and lie flat on the floor or you will be shot. Compliance will earn one of you your immediate freedom. A voice from inside answered, we no longer want to be freed. Weird. Two more days passed without contact of any kind as the scientists debated what to do next. Finally, they decided to terminate the experiment. At midnight on the 15th day, so I guess that 11 day was, wasn't real, but this is an urban legend. Right. <laughs> right. I don't think this I'm is already, true. I've already thought, I'm already in it. I thought this was true already. <laughs> At midnight on the 15th day, the stimulant gas was flushed from the chamber and replaced with fresh air in preparation for the subject's release. Far from being pleased with this prospect of leaving, the subjects began screaming as if in fear for their lives. They begged to have the gas turned back on. Instead, the researchers unsealed the door to the chamber and sent armed soldiers inside to retrieve them. Nothing could have prepared them for the carnage they witnessed upon entering. One subject was found dead lying face down in six inches of bloody water. Chunks of his flesh had been torn off. Okay, everyone, (laughs) what is warning? This is bloody. Bloody, okay. Yeah. Warning, warning, warning. Chunks of his flesh had been torn off and stuffed into the floor drain. Thank God I haven't eaten today. All of the subjects had been severely mutilated, in fact. Even worse, the wounds appear to be self-inflicted. Warning, warning, warning. They had ripped open their own abdomens and disemboweled Mm -mm. themselves with their bare hands. Mm -mm. Some had even eaten their own flesh. Ew, I feel sick. That survival instinct's probably like, you know when you eat, you get more energy? 
It might be like that. I can't even talk about this part. Like, I literally feel nauseous. I, I'm worried about myself because I feel fine. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I'm worried. That's worse. Okay. Because I know it's not true now. But it's an urban legend, so don't urban legends kind of have some... Some truth to it? Truth or some, like, uh, seed that inspired it. Well, now I feel sick, so thanks. Yeah. <laughs> the four who were still alive seemed terrified of falling asleep and refused to leave the chamber, again pleading with the researchers to turn the gas back on. When the soldiers attempted to remove the inmates by force, they fought back so ferociously they couldn't believe their eyes. One suffered a ruptured spleen and lost so much blood there was literally nothing left for his heart to pump, yet continued flailing for a full three minutes until his lifeless body collapsed. The remaining subjects were restrained and transported to a medical facility for treatment. The first to be operated on fought so furiously against being anesthetized that he tore muscles and broke bones during the struggle. As soon as the anesthetic took effect, his heart stopped and he died. The rest underwent surgery without sedation. Far from feeling any pain, however, they laughed hysterically on the operating table, so hysterically that the doctors, perhaps fearing for their own sanity, administered a paralytic agent to immobilize them. I wonder what was scaring them to fall asleep. I don't know. Maybe their bodies were telling them, like, don't fall asleep or you'll die. After surgery, the survivors were asked why they had mutilated themselves and why they so desperately wanted to go back on the stimulant gas. Each, in turn, gave the same enigmatic answer. I must remain awake. The researchers considered euthanizing them to obliterate every trace of the failed experiment but were overruled by their commanding officer, who ordered that it be resumed immediately, with three of the researchers joining the inmates in the sealed chamber. No. Horrified, the chief researcher pulled out a pistol and shot the commanding officer point blank. He then turned and shot one of the two surviving subjects. Aiming his gun at the last one left alive, he asked, What are you? I must know. (laughs) Have you forgotten so easily, the subject said, grinning. We are you. We are the madness that lurks within all of, within you all, begging to be free at every moment in your deepest animal mind. We are what you hide from in your beds every night. We are what you sedate into silence and paralysis when you go to the nocturnal haven where we cannot tread. The researcher fired a bullet into his heart. The EEG monitor flatlined as the subject murmured these last words. So nearly free. (laughs) Okay, this last part, like. Yeah, well, that's where the urban legend comes in, you know? It's It's a little cheesy. Yeah, yeah. I think it's supposed to be, you know, like a a lesson or whatever. Yeah, which actually makes me think of, I haven't watched it yet, but there's a Netflix documentary on sleep paralysis that I've heard is terrifying have you ever had um sleep paralysis i don't think so no me neither yeah but basically it's like you're you're awake right but your whole body is like paralyzed like you can't move yes because when you're asleep that's what happens to you but then normally as soon as you wake up your body your body comes out of it but 
for some people, there's like a minute or maybe even less, but Mm -hmm. it's terrifying when you wake up and you can't move. Yeah. So basically, these experiments did not happen. Um, No human experiments of the type and duration described above have ever been conducted. So like I said, I saw this in passing, but I guess it's at the end of this article. (laughs) The world record is 11 days without sleep. Randy Gardner, a student at Point Loma High School in San Diego, California, went without sleep for 11 days in a bid for the Guinness World Record for continuous wakefulness. He suffered bouts of dizziness, memory loss, slurred speech, hallucinations, and even paranoia over the course of the 264-hour experiment. But at no time did he exhibit anything resembling the extreme behaviors allegedly observed by the Russian researchers. Gardner reportedly slept for 14 hours straight when the project was over and awoke feeling rested and alert. He suffered no lasting ill effects. While Gardner did in fact beat the existing benchmark for days gone without sleep, his feet was never actually listed in the Guinness Book of World Records because he missed the submission deadline. The most recent title holder in that category before Guinness retired it for fear of encouraging risky behavior, yeah, that makes sense. was Maureen Weston of Cambridgeshire, England, who stayed awake for 18 days and 11 hours, oh, 18 <laughs> days and 17 hours during a rocking chair marathon in 1977. She neither ripped open her own abdomen nor ate her own flesh. Miss Weston holds the Guinness World Record for sleep deprivation to this day. That is the story of the Russian sleep experiment urban legend. What I'm confused about, though, is why would that kid at the end, why would he be in the Guinness Book of World Records if the record holder is 18 days and he only lasted 11? She, I mean, okay, yeah, she, the current record holder, probably got that record after he supposedly would have gotten his 11-day record. Okay, all right. What's the longest you've ever stayed up? 20 hours. <laughs> and probably t- maybe 22 hours. I I don't think I've ever no. I don't I've never stayed up 24 full hours. I don't think I have either. I really really need sleep. Same. I'm so cranky. I need I need 8 hours for for my mental and physical health. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, so we're not setting anything no. <laughs> Well, I think that's good that they took that out of the book, to be yeah. honest. It's yeah. like, that's not healthy. I know, but some of the stuff they have in there, like I was doing the, I do the after school program once a week at my school. And for the second, third, fourth, and fifth graders, they do their homework and then they have like games or books or stuff that they can do until their parents come and pick them up. One kid was looking through Guinness Book of World Records, and this is a, a second grade kid, and the stuff in there is so creepy. Oh, really? Yes. Uh, it's like most piercings and stuff, and like just all over the face. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh. Yeah. It's so weird. You can't even get your ears pierced. I've, no, no, I've gotten them pierced <laughs> twice. I've just taken them out both times. Let's not go back down that hole. Yeah, why are you trying to start a fight? (laughs) Okay. Let's go with what's yours. So mine, 
people have probably heard about. I I think our sister Brittany used to tell us this story when we were younger, and it would yeah. really creep me out. It was in because I it was in that book, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, which they're making a movie about. They did make a movie. Oh. It came out? Yeah. Did you see it? No. No, me neither. I, I didn't want to see it because it has that, um, uh, if you look at the trailer, it has like a pimple story and that, it freaks me out. I can't, I can't talk about it. I can't. Ew, what? No, I can't, I can't. <laughs> okay. So, my story is called The Killer in the Back Seat. So, again, we found this one as well on liveabout.com and this is by David Emery, told by a reader, Emily Dunbar. One night, a woman went out for drinks with her girlfriends. Cute. Sex in the city. (laughs) She left the bar fairly late at night, got in her car, and onto the deserted highway. Okay, I hope she wasn't drinking too much. After a few minutes, she noticed a lone pair of headlights in her rearview mirror. Approaching at a pace just slightly quicker than hers. As the car pulled up behind her, she glanced and saw the turn signal on. The car was going to pass when suddenly it swerved back behind her, pulled up dangerously close to her tailgate, and the brights flashed. Now she was getting nervous. The lights dimmed for a moment and then the brights came back on, and the car behind her surged forward. Oh my god. The frightened woman struggled to keep her eyes on the road and fought the urge to look at the car behind her. Finally, her exit approached, but the car continued to follow, flashing the brights periodically. Through every stoplight and turn, it followed her, until she pulled into her driveway. She figured her only hope was to make a mad dash into the house and call the police. As she flew from the car, so did the driver of the car behind her, and he screamed, Lock the door and call the police. Call 911. When the police arrived, the horrible truth was finally revealed to the woman. The man in the car had been trying to save her. As he pulled up behind her and his headlights illuminated her car, he saw the silhouette of a man with a butcher knife rising up from the back seat to stab her. So he flashed his brights and the figure crouched back down. Moral of the story... Always check the back seat. So I always think that it's the guy in the car that's gonna, that's trying to get her. Because I also just, so I've been watching the Zodiac movie, mm-hmm. and um, there's that one scene where the a, the a woman is driving with her baby in the car. And as she's driving, a guy starts honking, or a car behind her starts honking at her. So she pulls over. Don't stop for anyone. No. She pulls over and he comes around and he says, hi, your back right tire is loose. She goes, oh, it is? He's like, yeah, do you want me to tighten it up for you? She's like, yeah, that would be great. Thank you. So he goes and tightens it up, quote unquote. And then he's like, okay, goodbye. She's like, oh, thank you. And then she gets, waits for him to go and she gets back on the highway. And then obviously like, like falls off. It falls off. And, and then he's conveniently there to, to help her. Help again. Yeah. Oh, I'll drop you off at a service station. Sure. I'm like, oh. No, but I always check the backseat of my car. Dad told. Dad has always told me to do that. Dad probably heard this and got scared. 
He's a little scared. He doesn't cat. like spooky stuff. Did you just say we're gross? Yeah. For the record, Deb said we're gross, everyone. <laughs> okay, so this website's cool because it shows um, a little bit about where the legend may have come from. So um, it says, folklorists have traced this legend back to the 1960s and believe it may have been vaguely inspired by a similar real event in 1964 involving the discovery by a New York City policeman of an escaped murderer hiding in the backseat of his own car. You know which one I, I actually, I get this one confused with? Is the one where it's the two, the couple that are at like a lover's lane and they hear scratching yeah. on the door and they just like ignore it and stuff. And then the girl gets frightened. So they end up leaving. And when he goes around to open the door, there's a hook there and they hear on the radio that like an escaped murderer was out with a hook. I know these are all urban legends, but they do kind of give me the heebie-jeebies. Yeah, they do. What's like an, ur- not an urban legend, yeah, what's an urban legend that you think could actually be real? This says that in 2007, which is not that far, far behind, not that long ago. <laughs> um, so this does say that in 2007, the Decatur Daily News reported that a female college student in Alabama was threatened by a man with a gun who popped up suddenly in the backseat of her SUV. She escaped by slamming on the brakes and bolting from the car. Yeah, if somebody's in the backseat of your car, I have seen this. If someone's in the backseat, you always drive the car into something. Yeah. Because chances are you're wearing your seatbelt and chances are that they are not. Right. And worst case scenario, you slam into something and they get, you know... You know, discombobulated. Yeah, discombobulated, and you can hop out. Right, or someone notices that. Or someone notices that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But the urban legend I believe in, the Slender Man. No. (laughs) Ew. Oh, he's. We'll do him sometime. That's creepy. Well, the Slender Man has real life. Yeah, yeah. yeah, That's why we'll do that one. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The Loch Ness. Oh yes, yes. Morgan and I believe in the Loch Ness monster. One hundred. Yeah. Oh yeah. Totally. Yeah. Of course. For sure. Yes. All right. That was cool. That was fun. That was fun. Yeah. So we'll be mixing in things like this or just some kind of different content um, every two weeks. And on the other week, we'll be back to our normal um, mm-hmm. setting. So and get we'll try re- and label them as a crime adjacent episode. Oh, that's a good idea. <laughs> yeah. And get ready because the next week's episode is... Intense. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot, but it's interesting. And we're looking forward to um, telling it to you in a nice, holistic, well-researched way. So you can look forward to that. Yeah, well, thanks for listening. Um, Check us out on any social media, Instagram, Facebook. Well, not any because we don't have Twitter. Yeah, I mean, who has Twitter anymore? We don't understand how Twitter works. (laughs) So if you are dying to have us on Twitter, which I don't know if you are, I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah, no, never, (laughs) never. Um, Or our website, uh, suspicion.com. 
All right. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Rate, review, subscribe. And stay suspicious. <sighs> I hate you. <laughs>